Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there, out there in Blog Talk Radio land and Rainbow Soul. And however you tune in, we know iTunes, we used to be over on iTunes, but Apple took iTunes down. I think it was uh, a few days ago. But however you tune in, be it a phone or the chat room, we want to welcome you to Off the Shelf, and you are absolutely listening to the Winning Book Radio Show, Off the Shelf, on this Saturday, June the 15th, an early Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Happy, happy Father's Day for those who who are active in their kids' lives. Man, you probably will never know the difference, the positive impact you have made on your life, I mean, on your on your life, your child's life, your family, and your community just by being a loving, caring, listening, patient father. And now before we go on and introduce, go in further into the show and then introduce our special off-the-shelf guest, I want to leave this thought from Helen Keller with you. And the thought is optimism is the faith that leads to achievement. Nothing can be done without hope and confidence. This is a woman who really knew what it was like to have your back up against the wall. But she shared, optimism is the faith that leads to achievement. Nothing can be done without hope and confidence. That's it off the shelf, listeners. How good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you think you can finger the person who's responsible for the murder mystery that cloaks Raymond and his friend's life? And also, how much do you value relationships and love? How long would you wait to experience a once-in-a-lifetime romance, the kind of romance that can open you up to brilliance, insight, and actually even help you to awaken? Would you wait as long as Raymond and Brenda? And do you think it's worth it if the love you wanted didn't come? right away if you value relationships and you're one of those people who just loves to read a good mystery get your copy of love pour over me right now you could have already clicked over to amazon love pour over me by the knees time to get your ebook you can start reading it within less than an hour or you can get a print copy of Love Pour Over Me. I encourage you to treat yourself today. And actually, this is a great Father's Day book because there is a father-son relationship in here that is the center of this book. Get yourself a copy or your dad a copy for Father's Day of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest, our special guest this morning, is Cynthia McGregor. Now, this is a prolific, prolific, prolific writer. Cynthia McGregor is an author, freelance writer, host of the TV show Younger Every Day. Don't you love that title? Editor and public speaker. Novels that Cynthia has written include Home Again, Home Again, Moon Love, and What Child Is This? Nonfiction books that Cynthia has written include After Your Divorce, Right for real money. We're going to focus on that one today. Wisdom from a happy woman and facing down emptiness syndrome. You can check Cynthia out online right now at CynthiaMcGregor.com, and I'm going to spell her name, C-Y-N-T-H-I-A-M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R.com. 
Again, that's C-Y-N-T-H-I-A-M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R.com. Cynthia McGregor, Mac with the A, M-A-C. Cynthia McGregor. Dot com. Let's get Cynthia Warm off the shelf. Books Talk Radio, welcome. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Cynthia. Thank you. Glad to be here, Denise. How are so you glad today? To I am blessed. I am blessed on this gorgeous Saturday morning. And so glad to have you here with us on Off the Shelf, especially when I start out talking about your book, Write for Real Money, can give tips for off-the-shelf listeners, whether they're freelance writers or book writers, and they want to know how to get more sales for their books or how they can even use the subject matter for their book to maybe make more money from whether it's blogging or articles or social media writing uh, from from writing, so writing for real money. But it's a pleasure to have you here with us. As I tell all our guests, I ask the same the same questions to every guest because our listeners ask to get a little backstory on the guest before I launch into the questions. So to begin, Cynthia, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Where I live and what life is like for me? Is that what you asked? Uh, where did you mm-hmm. grow up as a little girl? Where, oh, did, where did you grow, I grow up? up? And, and what was like, life like for you growing up? Growing up, okay. I grew up in the suburbs of New York, and life was not that great for me. I did not have, uh, I did not have to face poverty or any, uh, you know, any of the typical uh, obstacles. Uh, but from age 14 on, life was difficult for me. First of all, my father died when I was 14, but uh, that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was that I developed symptoms that were not properly diagnosed till I was 30-something. I twitched, I twitched, and I made noises in my throat that I could not control. And so I was the freak of you and I, because there I was twitching and making these noises in my throat, and the other kids made fun of me, and some of the teachers were not too kind either. I had a health teacher, a health teacher, who told me that if I didn't stop it, he was going to send me to the principal's office. Well, I took myself to the nurse's office. What else could I do? The nurse was a very kind woman. She didn't know what was wrong with me either, but she was caring and uh, gentle with me. She would give me a couple of aspirins, which didn't help at all, but that was all she was allowed to dispense. I was taking tranquilizers under a doctor's care, but they didn't really help either. And uh, I had gone from the family physician to a psychologist, and then when I was 16 to a psychiatrist, because the school psychologist said, well, you're 
symptoms are physical, so maybe you need to see a psychiatrist rather than a psychologist. And it was diagnosed as uh, nervousness or, you know, something in, of that ilk. Uh, and and it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that, and your listeners may have figured this out by now, but back then the, the, the doctors and the school teachers sure didn't, that I had Tourette syndrome. Mm. And so once I knew what was wrong with me, I got on appropriate medicine and uh, it, it controlled it to a great extent, not totally, but to a great extent. And now I'm I'm so so close to free of the symptoms that nobody is aware that I have Tourette's. It uh, it goes totally unnoticed. But back then it was it made for a terrible childhood, teen oh. years I should say. And uh, actually, I dropped out of high school a couple of months short of graduation because I just couldn't take it anymore. And so uh, years later, I took a few college courses as a non-matriculating student because I didn't have a a high school diploma. I took a couple of courses, writing courses, as a non-matriculating student. And then many years later, because I felt I had unfinished business, I went back and got my GED, and I scored so high that I was offered a scholarship to the community college, but I was at that point uh, deep in my career writing and editing, and so I did not accept the offer of a scholarship to community college. I just went on with my career but it just felt good to have the GED and not have it hanging over my head. The feeling that, well, you've got unfinished business, Cynthia. You never got your your um, high school diploma. I used to have dreams at night, frequent dreams, in which they, an amorphous they, were coming to get me and make me go back to high school. And mm. once I... Once I got my GED, those dreams stopped, and uh, so it was a good thing. And uh, as I say, today I'm virtually symptom-free. I don't twitch at all, and the the noises are so minimal and so infrequent that nobody notices them, not even my significant other. He's completely unaware of them. And uh, so I really, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that I finally found out what was wrong with me, and got a handle on it, and and got, uh, got uh, medication to help me with it. But you want to know what my childhood was like? That that's what my teen years were like. And then on top of the Tourette's, I also had terrible anxiety attacks and became very agoraphobic. I was afraid to leave the house 
And that made matters worse as far as school was concerned, or as far as everything was concerned. And uh, I about the only place I, I forced myself to go, um, although I am a New Thought Christian now, I was born and raised Jewish, and I was uh, very dedicated to my religion, and so I made myself not miss a single Saturday service. I also was a Sunday school teacher as a teen, and I made sure that I got uh, to the, the the Sunday school classes were on Thursdays after school, and so I made sure that I got to the temple to teach Sunday school on Thursday afternoons. But uh, I missed a lot of school. A lot of a lot of days I was just too either too bad off with the Tourette's or too freaked out with the agoraphobia to uh, go to school. And then, as I said, I dropped out a couple of months short of graduation. So uh, ah, that's that's what my teen years were like. You know, I'm so glad. To, well, first of all, thank you for sharing what you did. Hopefully those who listen uh, can com- compare it to their lives. And I mean, every guest we've had on, everybody has some struggle. You're almost born into it. Uh, I don't know anybody who's not. It's it's one thing or the other, but to get on your path. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Now they know, like, um, I'm trying to think of the uh, the sickness. Uh, I have a cousin who has it. Well, you, you read words and they you read them, like, backwards. Uh, dyslexia. dyslexia. And so they didn't know years ago about dyslexia. They didn't know about ADHD and these other things and Tourette's. So they were just telling a kid, you just acting up. And if you had dyslexia, I could only imagine. And 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 not knowing it, it's simple, similar to what you went through, how the teachers would come down on you and your parents. And you, you're like, I, I mean, that must just have been awful before they figured out, oh, there's this thing called dyslexia, and this kid is really, really struggling because they don't see the 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 ladders are like all over the place. They're not the way other kids see them. So God yeah. bless you, and that you kept you loved yourself enough to keep going till you figured out what it was, and you could get help. I mean, just bless you, bless you for loving yourself enough to do that. But what attracted you to book writing? What what attracted you? Well, How did you I think. I've been writing ever since I was old enough to spell C-A-T. I wrote poems. I wrote stories. I wrote articles. I wrote for the summer camp newspaper. I wrote for the Temple Youth Group uh, newsletter. I wrote for, you name it, any place. And then when I was uh, 16, um I became what today would be well today today we talk of internships where kids go out and take jobs and don't get paid for them just get experience that term was not around when I was a teenager in those days interns were only doctors they didn't refer to teenagers uh taking unpaid jobs as interns but that's what I was I was an 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 unpaid writer on the local newspaper 
one of the two local newspapers. I had been hired by a woman who wanted me to write the, the teen column on teens doing good work, uh, charity work, and that sort of thing. But unfortunately, the editor who hired me to do that, and, and there was, over the summer, most of the kids were away at summer camp, so the column wasn't scheduled to resume till the fall. Well, the editor fell down the stairs and broke her back and was oh. replaced by another editor who didn't like me, and she sent me to uh, writing the obituaries. So it was my job every Thursday to come into the uh, newspaper office and call the five local uh, funeral homes and say, hi, this is the South Shore Record calling. Can you tell me who died this week? Well, I didn't feel that that was very uh, helpful to my writing career, so after a while I quit. I had been on the other newspaper, there were two, I had been on the other newspaper for over a year, so I got in over a year's worth of experience writing, but when I got stuck doing the old bits, I, I finally quit. I didn't get the teen column, nobody did the teen column that year, but anyhow, um, so that was that was my early writing experience, and then when I was 18, I moved from the suburbs to the city and took an apartment by myself and uh, took an office job and continued writing in the evenings, weekends, whatever, and I had little pieces published here and there for... $15 or $10 or whatever, little pieces for no account money. But it was it was writing, and it was it was enjoyable, and, and I kept doing it. And uh, then I, uh, later on, I, I met up with, well, I'm skipping ahead, but I, I guess I have to skip ahead. I met up with a man who hired me to write uh, seven teachers a week for a, a newspaper that he had, and uh, then he asked me to edit, so that was my first editing job, and uh, then he and I together started a an all-advertising newspaper uh, that advertised apartments for rent in New York. And in those days, the situation was not what it is today. I'm talking back in the 70s or the, six, the 60s, no, the 70s. And uh, so for 11 years, I was so busy running a newspaper that I had very little time to do any writing other than ads for the paper which I did, and uh, then when the apartment situation got to where apartments were so scarce that uh, landlords didn't have to advertise anymore, all you had to do was whisper that there was a vacancy and you had millions of people at your doorstep, and what had been a 
page weekly newspaper shrank down to 24 pages every other week, and I had time to write again. And I started writing for a couple of little magazines, and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote for them. And then the publisher of one of the two asked me if I would edit. And she said, have you had any editing experience? And I said, yes. And I told her about having edited the newspaper that I had edited previously. And she got me editing one of her magazines. And that was uh, then one of her, a, a rival publisher hired me away from her to edit his magazine. And then there were a number of magazines that he piled on. And I was very busy editing, but I kept writing, too. I didn't write my first book until 1992, give or take a year. Uh, At that point, I had my then best friend working, not for me, but with me, um, for the publisher that I was editing for, and she was setting type on a Mac. Um, At that point, most writers were still submitting their manuscripts typewritten rather than computer typed because we're going back to the early 90s now. And uh, she was bemoaning the fact that Christmas vacation was coming up and what was she going to do to keep her kids occupied for the two weeks they were out of school. And I said, hey, that would be a good magazine. And the publisher for whom I was editing occasionally put out one-shot magazines as opposed to serials. And I approached him with the idea that he put out a magazine that I would edit with um, ideas of what a person could do with their kids over the Christmas, over the Easter vacation, because it was getting too close to Christmas vacation to get the magazine out in time, but we were in time to get it out for Easter. And he thought about it and considered it, but ultimately declined it. And I thought it was too good an idea to just let it go. And if I took it to another publisher, they would have their editor uh, edit it. And I I was getting paid by the issue rather than by the week. So um, I wouldn't make any money if they gave it to one of their own editors. So I said, I'm just going to have to make a book out of it. So I wrote a book. And that was my Mm. first book. And it was called Mommy, There's Nothing to Do. You know, I'm listening to to you, Cynthia, and one thing I'm hearing you uh, say, and uh, thank you for what you're sharing, is your career as a writer, it seemed to evolve organically, almost naturally. It just just seemed to you, you started writing for newspapers and teen uh, papers, articles when you were a kid, and then you just kind of naturally... It seems like, from talking to you, fell in a place like today with um, online 
and you can write for newspapers online, and newspapers are getting creative to find ways to survive with, you know, the changes. People aren't buying print magazines and print newspapers, so now they're going to subscriptions and memberships, and how do we, we get, putting out little snippets on social media, and then if you, they let you read the first part of it, and then to read the rest, you might need to pay a fee or, or get a subscription. Uh, but it sounds like, you know, years ago it seems like you went to a newspaper, they picked you up, and they, they you just kept going with different work with the paper or with another paper. Today it's a little harder. It seems like the competition is so stiff. I remember, uh, I want to say 10 years ago, people were making good money blogging. I mean 60000 uh six figures a year just blogging. Now that income has shrunk. It's, it just changes so fast. All that said, you seem to just keep going with the flow and it works out for you. Can you share three tips for our off-the-shelf listeners on on things that writers can look for? First of all, I want to ask you, do you have any tips for our off-the-shelf listeners who are just starting out or they want to land better writing? Writing jobs. How well, can they find those? How can they find those good writing jobs? Well, look, look at where you're reading and uh, see if where you're reading is someplace that you can submit to as a writer. That's one tip. Another tip is go to Craigslist and check the writing gigs and the writing jobs. I I do that every morning. I go every morning to Craigslist and. For, for my locality, which is South Florida, and I check um, uh, Craigslist. And then I haven't done this personally, but I know some writers go to Fiverr, which I think is spelled with two R's, and uh, they go to Fiverr and present themselves as writers uh, for uh, projects rather than for articles. But another thing you can do is go to your local uh, merchants and see if uh, not not just stores, but also to uh, craftspeople, to, uh, to uh, carpenters, to uh, handymen, to uh, lawyers and doctors and other professionals, accountants, anybody that's got a product or a service to sell and suggest to them that they start a blog that you can ghostwrite, which brings me to the topic that you mentioned earlier about writing for real money. Once you have, here's here's what the book is, is about in essence. Once you have established yourself as a book writer, once you've had at least one book and preferably more published, you can put yourself forward as a published author. And these days with self-publishing, you don't have to wait till, till uh, not Barnes & Noble, till uh, Collins or Simon & Schuster picks you up which you could be waiting till you're dead in your grave, but you can self-publish a book or or several, not not to just put out any old crappy product that won't do. Write a good book 
and make sure that it's properly edited. Properly, a spell check alone won't do it. You you've got to have somebody edit it, preferably a a professional editor such as myself or someone like Bobby Christmas from Zebra Editing. She's another good one. Um, somebody like Bobby or myself who is a good editor, edit your book and then self-publish it. And after you've done that and you have that as a credential, you approach local professionals and not just professionals, but primarily professionals, and you say, look, the way to put yourself forth as a uh, an experienced, knowledgeable person is to write a book. If you can have written a book about your craft or your, your uh, profession, then people will look up to you and say, boy, he or she must really know his or her professional craft. He or she has written a book about it. Only, of course, he or she probably isn't really a writer. Hopefully they know their stuff, but they probably can't write well. So that's where you come in. You get the info from them and you ghost-write the book, and you can charge $1,000 or more. And you ghost-write the book for them, and you can help them through the publishing process, or you can turn them loose to do it on their own. If you do help them through, you can charge extra for that. And they have a published book, that they can put in their waiting room or their store or whatever is applicable. And you wrote the book and you made the money and they have the book and they get the credentials and everybody goes home happy. And that's where the real money comes in, $1,000 or more to ghost write a book. That's a hell of a lot more than you're going to get from just royalties. That's writing for real money. Mm. Now, are there in that deal like ghostwriting? We had another author uh, guest on here who ghost wrote, wrote and actually wrote a ghost wrote for a book that went on to become, I think, a New York Times bestseller. It really took off. Now he said he he does in his contract they'll ghostwrite for it's generally a flat fee. They generally don't get parts of the sales. Some ghostwriters do write that in, but Generally, it's a flat, flat fee, so you can protect yourself. If the book doesn't sell, you get your money. If the book sells a lot, exactly. you just go, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow, what if I had exactly written that my book for myself? But he said, yeah, so there was one thing about a tip to pass on with the contract. Are there anything to look for? You said like Craigslist, and I certainly, when I was freelancing full-time, got um, – Found a, I found a, some, several good jobs off of Craigslist. Who would think that you would? But are there any tips for writers, things they can look for in ads, wherever they go, freelance writing jobs, journalism jobs, a media bistro? Those are, those are some tips uh, off-the-shelf listeners where you can go get fine writing jobs as well. Indeed is another place. But 
and you might find some on LinkedIn as well. But um, are there any tips for things writers should look for when they're looking for an ad to know that they're really applying for a legitimate job and a job that pays well? Well, I would say to steer clear of the the so-called content mills because most of them pay so little, even even assuming they do pay and they're not uh, rip-off artists, they pay so darn little that it's just not worth it. So steer clear of the, the content mills, the places that advertise, we need writers, editors, blah, 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 thousands of jobs, work today. Uh-uh, steer clear of those places. They're, you know, even even the ones that are legitimate, uh, they they pay so little. Don't uh, don't don't go for it. Uh, you put yourself forth as a as a writer, and and if you're a good editor, and only if you're a good editor, put yourself forth as an editor. I edit books again for a thousand dollars, and now that thousand dollars it goes up and down depending on the length of the book and depending on how it comes to me, uh, you know, in what format. Uh, if I have to rekey, uh, if it comes to me uh, typed, you know, there are still a few people out there who don't have uh, computers, believe it or not. I have a dear friend who doesn't have a computer. He's not a writer, but uh, he doesn't have a computer. And only recently got a cell phone. There are still people out there without computers. I took on a uh, ghostwriting gig for a writer in his 90s, for, for a client in his 90s who was not a writer but very much wanted to put out a book on a certain, I, I don't want to blow his cover, but on a, let me just say on a certain celebrity, a minor celebrity, not a not a big name, but a minor celebrity, who he was all agog over, and he had a lot of material which he shared with me. But I had to uh, go through all his uh, clippings and books and this is and that and the other things and write the book and I I lowered my price because the book was short but I raised my price again because I had to go through so much material rather than having him presented to me in a unified format so you you adjust your price it's not always exactly a thousand dollars it might be more it might be less I, if, if a book is under 30,000 words, I lower my price for writing or editing accordingly. And if a book is over 60,000 words, I raise my price for writing or editing accordingly. So it's not a flat, always 1,000, but 1,000 is a good median starting point. And, but only if don't, don't take on editing jobs unless you really can edit. And uh, otherwise, just stick to writing jobs, ghost writing jobs, and other writing jobs. You can uh, approach local businesses and tell them that you'll write ads 
for them. That's another possible venue. And uh, let me see what else is there. I I think we may have covered most of it. And and you know I have to ask you this. So I'm I'm listening to your and how your career seems to organically just over decades work out for you. Uh, a lot of writers are they their confidence to write may be strong, but approaching someone to say a business and I've I've heard that advice before. You might attend a, a chamber networking event, a chamber of commerce network, and most cities have a chambers of commerce, and those. Members of those are they are major players in big companies in the city, and you can go to those events. And then hundreds of people turn out, and maybe thirty, fifty, or more companies are represented there um, at those events. But writers sometimes are like, I don't want to. I just don't feel comfortable going up to somebody and asking them, you know, t- telling them the benefits of blogging and re- regular blogging." And I can do that for you. And like you said, here's the, a book I've written it so you can see some of my work and how I write. I can write yeah. conversationally or academically for you. A lot of writers, though, are scared to do that. So what what tips would you give? Are there any websites that would be good for writers to go to? Or how can writers get their courage up to just attend a networking event and start to approach people? Should they hand out business cards? It would be what would you say to a well, writer who's very timid about that? You've got to have business cards. That's a that's a for sure. You've got to have business cards, and you can hand them out. And uh, you can when you hand them out, you can hand somebody three and say, "Here's one for you and two for your associates, your friends, anybody you know who could benefit from my services." So you're giving it to people to pass along. Now you can, if you have a an office, you can um, put cards in your office, and uh, if people come to see you, uh, you can you can uh, pass your cards around, and it, at your in your home, uh, you have people coming to your home. You have friends. You have uh, relatives, you have who knows who, and so you can put them in your home and have people pick them up there and uh, just, you know, make yourself as visible as possible. Yeah, so that's one That's one way uh, for, for, again, writers who are timid about approaching people and just if you approach it and look at it as a business, you have to get out there and just let people know. It like is a any, 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 yeah, any business owner, major, major, major companies that bring in billions a year, they hire people and that's all they do. They just get out and they knock on doors. They get out, they go, they go prospecting. They go out and have lunches with people, and that's how they become so successful. So you you have to find a way, like you said, the business cards, leaving something behind. Some people maybe leave a little uh, a snippet of some of your writing or something behind, but you have to keep doing it over and over and over till you start to get traction. Are there any websites? Because, again, you said we want to avoid the content mills, but there, have you found any websites that list, like you, you talked about your ghostwriting fees, that say – this is what an uh, editor would make on a book, so many words. This is what 
uh, a typical blog writer makes. This is what somebody generally make uh, writing press releases or uh, academic writing. This is a t- average. It's a low rates. These are medium rates, and these are high rates. Have you come across any websites that list that? Looking for ways to protect. I really have not. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking really ways to protect not. new new writers from taking on work and getting paid. I mean, really, really low. And then you find out later, oh, my God, I could have made three times that. So um, I would just encourage writers to do their homework. And I think the um, National Writers Association might have some um, – you might be able to find some, some uh, like a sheet, just a tip sheet, with what uh, certain types of writing pay, what's low, what's, what's average, and what's high. So when you're going out and you're doing your contracts, you can negotiate – a good rate uh, for yourself. When it comes to editing, well, uh, Cynthia. Well, um, excuse, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, writers uh, Market, which I haven't bought in a few years now, but it used to have, and it may still have, uh, a list such as you're talking about, low, medium, and high rates for uh, writers. And, and editors and proofreaders and so forth. So you you can go to the library. You don't have to buy a writer's market if you don't want to. Although it's it's worth buying, but if you if, if you're short on cash, it's not a cheap book. If you're short on cash, you can go to the library. Almost every library has a copy, and you can buy writer's market. And, uh, I mean, you can read Writer's Market in the library, and it used to and probably still does have a uh, a section on suitable uh, ethical prices, such as you're talking about. So that would be a good – it's not on the web, but that would be a, a good place to look. Uh, uh, thank you for sharing that. And then, as an editor, you write and you edit. So, and that's so you can. That's two different ways. That's another way for writers. Uh, if they do get into editing, then they could either earn money. And I know a friend who does that. You either you can write and you can also do editing for others. But but talking about editing, you know, if, as a as, particularly if you're a freelance writer, a, a client may come back and ask you to edit. So sometimes clients aren't really clear on what they what they want. They really can't see it clearly, whether you're doing web content writing, social media marketing, whether you're doing blogging, again, academic writing. They don't really see what they want. And then you write the piece and give it to them, and they, no, you know, I really didn't. Can you go back and do this? Then you do it again. No, you know. So I, I, if, that starts to affect your hourly rate because you, now you're editing and you're not getting extra money for it. How many edits do you think a writer should do in one payment before they say, the writer says, in order to do this next edit, you're going to have to pay me an additional amount well, for it? First of all, I don't consider those edits. I consider those revisions. There's a difference. Uh, I I don't, I've never run into the only, well, I shouldn't say I've never, I've hardly ever run into a situation 
where uh, a number of revisions that I made still didn't please the client. Uh, I don't have a a particular number in mind that uh, is reasonable, but uh, I would say that if you can't please the client within three revisions, I guess, you probably aren't going to be able to please that client at all. And you should just ask for a kill fee for your work. If you did work, but the client doesn't usable, and uh, the client isn't happy, and 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 can't use your work, you're still entitled to a kill fee for having done the work, uh, even though it wasn't used. And a kill fee could be perhaps 35% of what you were uh, contracted to receive for the full job. So that's something to think about. And then, of course, don't work for that client anymore. Obviously, you and he or she are not compatible. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the client is unreasonable. It might. The client might indeed be very unreasonable. But it's for the reason we just each other. So just don't do any more work for that client. Um, sometimes now the you... client is very unreasonable. Other times the client just isn't good at expressing what he or she wants, and then when you take a stab at it, he or she says, no, 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 that's not it at all. And uh, here we go again. So yeah, and, and so uh, you don't that want to work happen. for that person anymore. Uh, that maybe somebody else often. will do better with yeah. them. Maybe nobody will ever do better with them. But you don't want to. You don't need to beat your head against the wall. You don't need the money that badly. Yeah, and I would agree with that. So for for writers, when maybe sometimes the client they just clearly can't see what they want, uh, then again the kill fee you have to know when to step away because they keep asking you to do another revision, and it's very every time it's so very different that you can see the client really they are having a hard time seeing what it is they want and they're just hoping like shooting darts at a wall you just somehow magically land and hit the bullseye and you could be writing for them for quite a while before you before you do that do you work on the social media when you started out in your career this was well before the internet and social media this is when newspapers were really really i mean you could see people going out every morning stopping and getting their paper copy of, of the of the newspaper do you um, do you use social media to advance your writing career, Cynthia? Did you have any I'm tips only, along that? I'm only on Facebook, not on uh, any of the others, and I do put myself forward on Facebook uh, more for my books than for my my writing uh, or editing i 
do sometimes advertise, uh, well, not advertise, post on Facebook about my writing and editing. Uh, but I, I really have never seen a single job come in uh, as a result. I, I keep trying, but I, I really can't say that I ever got a single gig writing or editing as a result of a social media post. Um, okay. I do also post about my books five days a week, Wednesdays and Sundays accepted. And Wednesdays and Sundays I post recipes because I have cookbooks out there. And so Wednesdays and Sundays I post a recipe. I'll start, it's recipe Sunday, exclamation point. And then I'll go, here's a recipe from one of my several cookbooks. Hope you enjoy it or words to that effect. And then I post the recipe. And then again, I say this was from one of my cookbooks. To see all my cookbooks, go to www.cynthiamacgregor.com. And uh, so that that's how I use social media. I the other way I use social media is to keep my my name in front of my clients um, who are on Facebook. Uh, for example, there's a I don't want to name names, but there's a particular fellow who I've done some work for intermittently. And I want to make sure that he doesn't forget me the next time he needs a writer or an editor. He's used me for both. So uh, I'll post things on uh, on Facebook, and I'll, I'll write on his timeline, and uh, I'll keep my name in front of him, and in and that's one way that I use social media. And uh, you have written yeah, so many I'm books, sorry. Cynthia. You have written so many Over books. Over a hundred. Oh my goodness! Just, just I mean, just marketing and even if you only sold, you've written so many that that's one another piece of advice for writers who want to make real money. Uh, if you keep writing enough books, even if you sold ten copies a week, you or, or even you would be doing fairly well financially, depending on how many books you had out there published. And on top of that, you were freelance writing and freelance editing. That's when you can can earn a full-time income. And as you keep putting out more books, then you can just generate that much more money. And that's thankful to the Internet, which has made so writers don't have to wait for a big-name publisher to come pick them up, and then you get small, small, small royalties. We only have a few minutes left, but I definitely wanted to talk about your TV show. So when and why did you launch uh, the TV show Younger Every Day? Um, I don't have it anymore. I did launch it uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it went off the air for lack of sponsors. Uh, it was on a local TV uh, channel, and uh, it ran for less than less than a full season. I had another show before that called Solo Parenting, 
which was for single parents, whether divorced, widowed, or never married. Most of the people who came on the show were divorced. And uh, that introduced me to uh, a local channel, WHDT, which put me on the air for a couple of seasons. But again, they couldn't get sponsors so they dropped the show, and then I came back to them with the concept of Younger Every Day, the show that helps you look, act, and feel younger no matter what your driver's license says. That was our tagline, and they put me on the air, but again, they couldn't get sponsors, so it lasted less than a full season before they took me off the air for lack of sponsorship. And then I had a uh, blog, uh, not blog, what am I trying to say, a um, podcast, Younger Every Day, which I had a sponsor for, but I took it off the air because we weren't getting that many listeners. Ah, okay. You, how did you, so for any writers, you know, especially if you want to do it online and then your overhead cost is minimal because you, 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 if you're doing it online, you may not have the typical studio fees depending on the equipment that you either license or own yourself to put on a, a, a TV show that only airs over the Internet. Would you have any advice? I mean, I have, a, I have two friends who put on writers' conferences, and they have – big name sponsors for those events, but they still say a lot of work goes into it. Do you have any tips for any writers who would want to uh, look at launching their own TV show? Of course, you did it through a television station as far as gaining sponsors or finding a TV uh, station that might, whether it's through public broadcasting, who might pick up your your TV ideal and run with it. Well, I... I had tried public broadcasting, but public broadcasting wants uh, you to bring your uh, donors along with you. They don't call them sponsors. They call them donors. They want you to bring your donors along with you so that you have um, people who are underwriting the cost of the show. And if you don't have that, they won't put you on. I I tried approaching uh, the local uh, public uh, television outlet, and that was what I found, that they they wanted me to bring the donors, the underwriters. And uh, I didn't have any. Okay, okay. So that's one way if you do have apps, get your own sponsors. That might be one way to, uh, that for anybody who's interested in launching a show. We are coming down to the last few minutes can you uh give us some the titles of some of your books and then i want to ask you a a a quick marketing question before we start to wrap up but can you give just some more titles of some of your other titles a few of my titles are wisdom from a happy woman i'll see you at rainbow bridge uh just be yourself uh affirmations plus action uh don't um don't quit while you're ahead that one goes counter to the you know the the common advice is quit while you're ahead i say don't quit while you're ahead climb higher and mm. uh 
So that's that's the, the premise of Don't Quit While You're Ahead. And then one of my children's books, probably my favorite of all the books I've ever written, is Heartfelt the Special Reindeer, which we're uh, planning to make into a movie, and a TV show, that is, an animated Christmas TV children's special, which we hope to get on the air this Christmas season. It's being animated now. I wrote the script for the show. I wrote the lyrics for the three songs for the show. Uh, The show is uh, half an hour long, and based on the book, Heartfelt the Special Reindeer, which has a sequel, not the movie, but the uh, book, has a sequel coming out this coming Christmas, Christmas of this year, called The Boy Who Didn't Believe in Santa, and that's a sequel to Heartfelt the Special Reindeer. And uh, I don't know what else to tell you about that, but but among my books, my my favorite is Heartfelt the Special Reindeer. You, Cynthia, you you, oh my God, you you your career to me, you know, starting with your challenges that you did when you were a kid, you had Tourette's, but nobody knew it, and and. Your career after you got into writing, it just seems to have organically just flowed. You just keep you just keep going from one thing to the next. You must have some level of confidence that keeps you moving forward. Uh, well, people share- people call people call me the Energizer Bunny because I never stop. I just I just keep going and push forward. I just I just keep moving ahead and moving ahead and moving ahead. I work seven days a week with time off for church, and uh, I work long days, long hours. I get up at five every morning, and of course, I, I I'm, I'm done by five at night. I don't I don't work evenings. I know lots of people work evenings, but getting up at five in the morning, I do not work evenings. By five, I've had it. That well, twelve hours. Twelve hours is really uh, long enough. How can writers? How can our off-the-shelf listeners get some copies of your books? And then I'm going to close with your website URL. But how can people get copies? Well, You've that's how so they many. Can get copies. Go to my website. Go to www.cynthiamacgregor. That's M A C Macgregor. N A C G R E G O R. Cynthia Macgregor dot com and you'll find all my books listed there including some that are out of print but you can still get copies uh on amazon and places like that and uh go to my website and you'll see what almost all my books are obviously the uh, ghost written books don't appear there but when i said over 100 published books. I was not including ghost-written books. I was just including books written by me for myself under my own name. And uh, go to my website, and you'll find the list of books there. And you can uh, order. The the website will, will jump you to the publisher's website. 
And so just start at my website and the, click on the hyperlink and it'll jump you to the publisher. There are different publishers, of course. I'm not always one publisher, but they'll jump you to the publisher's website in question and you can order the book. Okay. I'll tell you, let me, let me tell you one, one, one sad fact. Do you want to know what my best-selling book is? Not, I'm not saying it's a bestseller. It's not a bestseller, but it's my it's my book that has sold the most copies of all my books. And this is a sad fact that my best-selling book is Divorce Help Book for Kids. Uh... That there should be a need for that book. That it should be my bestseller. That's a sad fact. Yeah. You know what? So, but so, thank you for writing the book for the for the kids, children who need that. You know, because divorce is hard. So, thank you for writing. And obviously, being that it's, of all the books you've written, it's sold the most. Tells you what that the need for that is out there. Thank you so much to Cynthia McGregor. I'm telling you, if you came in midstream on today's show, once it finishes streaming, I do encourage you to go back and listen to it in its entirety in the archives. You can hear some of her journey if you listen to uh, the the um, interview in its entirety. I really, really, really encourage you to listen to to all of Cynthia McGregor's interview. And again, she's online at Cynthia C Y N T H I A M A C G R E G O R dot com. I encourage you to check her out. And if you want to order her one of her books. You can, like she said, click on the title. It'll take you to the publisher. She's written so many books that uh, she has more than one publisher that she has worked with. So thank you to Cynthia McGregor for being here with us. Thank you. And to our off-the-shelf listeners. Thank you for having me. Oh, enjoyed you. you. Enjoyed you. Thank you. And to our off-the-shelf listeners, those who've been with us for 14 years, the 14 years we've been on the air, and those who just tuned in today, come back next Saturday. We'll have another phenomenal guest for you. Just mark it on your calendars. You're going to catch Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, or I'd say New York City time. Until then, remember, you are incredible. You're awesome. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Happy Father's Day. Cynthia, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus